Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of It's Britney B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany Bell, and if y'all are ready, let's sit back, relax, and let's chill. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the current feminist movement and how it just doesn't make sense right now. I know that I'm going to get a lot of flack for this because I'm a woman talking against the feminist movement, but I've just been seeing some things that just point out some red flags to me, and it just seems like the future isn't as female as it was. And with the direction that today's feminism has been going, it hasn't been the most alluring. I think the feminist movement has proven to show a lot of progression. You know, in the past situations, we had women voting and birth control and the whole body empowerment stuff. And, you know, even the Me Too movement for a period of time. There's been a lot of things that the feminist movement has done to help women. But do we have like a common goal at this point, though? Because lately, it just seems to me that the feminist movement... It's toxic. It just seems pretty self-righteous. Now, before you guys come after my neck and rip the jugular out, hear me out. I mean, come on. We see how mainstream media portrays feminism. It just doesn't make sense. And at this point, it just seems a little embarrassing and kind of poorly taste. Let's not act like this current feminism movement is really speaking to the real lives of most women. It seems to be more destructive than constructive. And I'm not the only one who has this thought about modern day feminism. Shoot, Goldberg from the New York Times mentioned that most young Democrats and Republicans agree with the statement that feminism is doing more harm than good. You have two young opposing parties that agree that, hmm, yeah, we don't really vibe with this movement. I definitely think that we do need to shine a light on mainstream media tainting this movement. I mean, have you guys seen the Barbie movie? If you're a straight heterosexual male and you don't want to feel offended as a man, I probably wouldn't go see the movie then. You guys saw the marketing for this movie. It was incredible. You know how many of us women were excited to see this movie? We had no idea what it was about. I didn't. Women are dressing up as Barbie to see an hour and a half movie in cute, tight pink dresses and heels just to sit in a cold movie theater. Mainstream media has influenced so much of what feminism is, and it has an agenda, an amazing marketing moneymaker plan. So I wanted to take a bit of a dive into this feminism pool and see what officially feminism means. And the definition, my dear, according to Webster Dictionary, is the belief in the social, economic, and political equality of the sexes, like in that Beyonce song. But we're getting this from Webster. Now, after reading this, I sat and thought about it for a second. You know, the social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. That's feminism? Why not knock the middleman out and just use the word human equality? But whatever, what do I know? But as I was saying... Feminism is equality of the sexes, equality socially, economically, and politically of the sexes, not a certain group of people in the feminist movement. And that's what it feels like it is, though, right now. Yeah, I'm saying this to you guys. I'm starting a conversation, y'all, and I will probably get a lot of flack and told that I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to pretend to be blinded and be ignorant to what is not being discussed. And it's not like I haven't asked people their opinions about the feminism movement But I do notice there is a significant amount of people that, you know, believe in this feminist movement today. Here's the problem. Every time I would ask a feminist what it is that women still need to fight for, they never have enough answers. 
The funny thing is a lot of people would tell me that they would have to go and Google and do their research and then find what the feminist movement is and why we need to fight for this movement. So then I'm thinking, wait, you're already a part of this huge movement, but you still have to do research on the importance of this current fight? Something's not mathing right to me right now. It just seems like this movement's agenda is anti-men and like anti a lot of things. You know, instead of turning this into a fight of equality, which in my opinion, I feel like we are pretty much neck and neck there with equality in a lot of areas. We are now at a level, I feel, where feminism is more full of destruction, the destruction of men. I remember as a young girl, I grew up with all boys. I would always want to keep up with them, with my brothers and my cousins and show them that I was just as good as they were. And some things, I was better than them. But it wasn't to show that I was equal to them. It was just to show that I was better than them and that I could keep up just as much as they could. I feel like that's how the feminist movement is acting. It's so focused on the betterment of women, it feels like it's coming at the expense of men. You know, feminists are not looking at the internal problems of this movement. And yes, I have established feminism is about equality socially, economically, and politically. I, though, personally feel... Like we are at a good level right now to where we can now look at different groups within this feminist movement and, you know, help each other out. It just feels like there is one agenda being pushed and I want to blame mainstream media for this. I just feel like we are so focused on the wrong things that we forget within the feminist movement, we are shoving certain groups to the side. Women want to fight for this gender pay gap. And if you really think about it, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers when I say this, it doesn't exist the way that the mainstream media is portraying it to be. The gender pay gap is a convenient misrepresentation. And if you really look at this issue and really understand it, the gender pay gap is really not the gender pay gap that you think. Women and men make the same amount of money when they do the same jobs as each other. The issue is... Women tend to steer away from more male-dominated jobs. Why? Because most men and women have different interests, and that's okay. That is normal. Most men like to work engineering jobs, hard, heavy-duty jobs, whereas women like to do more caregiving jobs or more office-level jobs. And again, there is nothing wrong with that. It's just reality. So with reality, more high-demanding jobs tend to pay more. They pay more money due to the high demand in the job. So my question is, why are men viewed as the villain for working a job that normally piques most of their interest? The male-dominated jobs tend to require more hours and work to do, where us women, we don't tend to gravitate towards that field because we do not want to be away from home that long. Don't get me wrong, there are some women that do like these jobs, but it's not a lot. And again, that is okay. But I feel that there should be a level of understanding when it comes to this supposed gender pay gap. Remember, feminism is again about the social, economical, and political equality upon sexes. Women can work jobs where they make the same as men. They can work the jobs that are the same as men. The issue is not that women get paid less than men. It is again that we just do not prefer to work those high demand jobs because most women are usually mothers and either do not want to work such a job that is so taxing in their day-to-day -day life or maybe they just even want to be a stay-at-home mom. Which side note, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to be a stay-at-home mom. But I feel like feminism has a tendency to take a dump on it more often than not. Let's think about this for a second. Modeling. Men in modeling, women in modeling. I can almost promise you nobody can tell me a high-paying male model. But I can probably name like three female models that are very high-paying. Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, her other sister, whatever her name is, Justin Bieber's chick. 
high paying models. I can't name a male one. There's plenty of other jobs where men make more money than women and women make more money than men. But I don't think we should put it in our minds that it's because women don't get hired in certain areas like men do when men don't get hired in certain areas like women do. It just depends on who likes what job. Jordan Peterson, I think, said it best. He said, is bricklaying a representative of democracy? If there's evidence of structural inequality and oppression because women aren't precisely represented at 50% in all professional levels, why don't we have the conversation about having women represented in all professional levels? Why does it have to just be in the C-suite, for example? Why do we just talk about politics? And quite honestly, we all know, you know, how businesses truly run from government businesses to small owned businesses. They will do whatever they can to save a buck. And if this gender pay cap really, truly exists and women do get paid less than men, why wouldn't businesses just hire women? They're paying them less, right? You know, less money spent for the company. Men wouldn't work because women would take all the men's jobs. But again, what would I know? Who would want to have the lowest bidder? I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to be an evil villain here when I'm talking about this stuff. But again, feminism is supposed to be about equality for all the sexes. And you guys already get tired of me of saying this, but I'm trying to prove a point. I'm just wondering where the equality is exactly. Because as I'm going through what I've been researching about feminism in today's society, I'm just not seeing the equality. You guys, I'm going to bring this to light. And if someone wants to come to my show and have this conversation with me, you guys are more than welcome to. I know I'm not the only one who is seeing this stuff and is thinking this way. So I want to have the discussion about it. Like, why does it seem like there's only one targeted group of feminists being heard or seeing change? Look at the Me Too movement. Great movement at first, but notice how things didn't pop off until Alyssa Milano did that infamous tweet of Me Too. When there have been multiple thousands, if not probably hundreds of thousands of women before making statements, trying to make a change with essaying. And it takes one simple celebrity who I can't even tell you what, what what was she on the, the witch TV show. I don't even know where she's from, but her tweet is what makes the me too movement pop off. Seems pretty selective to me. Let's focus on the voting. You know, we're coming to another anniversary of the 19th Amendment, you know, August 26, 1920, the 19th Amendment established for a certain group of women to vote. And it was usually white women. And it wasn't even most white women. Black, Native Americans, other races, we're not worried about you. Do you see what I'm saying? Even in the past, there was a big division of this women's suffrage movement. There's not really a long base of intersectionality in this movement. Let's make this fun. Meet intersectionality, a super concept that helps us see how our identities intersect and influence our experiences. It's like a cool puzzle that brings all the pieces of who we are together. It's like being a superhero with a unique combination of superpowers. But here's the catch. Sometimes people take this powerful idea and use it for not so good super purposes. Dun, dun, dun. Intersectionality can be misused to silence those who don't agree with the majority, which I'm sorry, that's clearly here in the feminist movement. It's like using a superhero's powers to do bad things. Instead of promoting inclusivity, some folks use intersectionality to create divisions. They categorize individuals based solely on immutable traits like gender or race. It's like sorting people into boxes without considering their unique experiences. It's like forcing a square peg into a round hole. It just doesn't fit. And when we do that, we're shutting out the very voices that could add value and insights to the conversation. It's like turning off the lights in a room with different colors. You miss out on the beautiful spectrum. Don't we want to celebrate the beautiful tapestry of identities? You know, not squish them into narrow boxes. 
Intersectionality should be a tool for understanding and building bridges, not a weapon for shutting people down. And it just seems like that is what this movement does. If you do not believe in abortion, you are usually shut out. If you question the feminist movement, you are viewed as a pick me or whatever. But do you see where I'm getting with the confusion about equality for this movement? I think we need to really open our eyes to feminism and understand that with everything all men and women have fought for, that everyone has their own shoes to put on and go fight. Feminism is about equality of the sexes. And if it's about equality of the sexes, shouldn't we really have it just be like individualist? You know, individualist, a theory maintaining the political and economic independence of the individual and stressing individual initiative, action, and interest. That's what Webster Dictionary said it meant. Maybe instead of feminism, we focus on more of an individualism. I'm a mom of a boy and a girl, and I can honestly say with my daughter, I'm not so worried about her growing up into this world. And I have to truly think the positive aspects of what the feminist movement has done in order for me to have that comfort. But nowadays, I do worry about my son. I worry about my son because of the negative connotations that this movement has affected on men today. And I worry that it will become worse as time moves on. And I wonder, well, what's the future going to be for my son? I bring this up because as I see growth of women and their success, the protection we are granted, the affirmative action us women get when it comes to even getting a job, the rights of women have grown, but it seems like it comes at the expense of men. And I want my son to grow up in this world knowing that he can be something too. That if he makes it to the top, he's not going to be viewed as a misogynistic pig or that the only reason he got this job is because he's a man. I want him to feel comfortable talking to women and still maintain that gentleman role and not worry about thinking he's going to insult any person, not even just women. And I know a lot of that will come from me as his mother raising him. I understand that. But I can't control what the media portrays and how the world will be towards him. You know what I mean? And at the same time, I don't want my daughter to think that she got a job just because she's a woman or, you know, a minority. I want my children to know that they got the job because they worked hard to get there. And it doesn't seem like lately the feminist movement has been encouraging that. I feel like it has become more toxic. I feel like there's no intersectionality when it comes to this. There's only a certain common goal for one certain area of feminist. And when they're not realizing that there are different forms of feminism in the community, come on, you guys, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. We put spectrums on everything else. We can't put a spectrum on feminism. If you don't agree with the common main goal of this feminism movement, you're going to be viewed as the villain. And to me, all I'm looking for is that everybody gets somewhat of a fair shot for everybody to get along. We're all here. Us women have equal rights. Women can be whatever they want to be. Nothing's stopping them. Look at me. I have my own podcast. That's a start. If you can tell me what it is that is stopping women other than themselves, you as a woman, what is stopping you from doing whatever it is that you want to do other than yourself? If you have an answer that is legit, I'm all ears. But I don't know what that could possibly be. I don't know what's possibly stopping you. You know, I've seen leaders of women's of all shapes, colors, and sizes. Mary Barra, she's been the CEO of General Motors since 2014. Whitmer's in her second term in office. And Kamala Harris is our vice president. I've seen all different types of women, shapes and sizes, go to college. Shoot, if a woman leaves her husband, you know how many resources she has to get help? She has the ability to be able to grow. Even after leaving her husband, say she's a stay-at-home mom. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. She had plenty of resources to help her grow. She has a job. She has maintained it. She took great care of us. 
women have higher chances to keep their children more than men do. I mean, women are more than likely to get child support, even if they make more money than the man. Not all men have the gift of affirmative action completely, but all women do. And when it comes to jobs or schools, girls have girl empowerment groups. My daughter's in that class. Do you think they have boy empowerment groups? Nah. And yes, women should be able to feel great, but so should men. Why is that so hard? And why do we have to beat down masculine men? I love masculine men. I mean, we have totally different forms of women. Why can we not have different forms of men and embrace all of them too? Masculinity is masculinity. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity and there's no such thing as toxic femininity. There's just bad people. There are bad women. There are bad men. But I just think maybe the feminist movement should just Michael Jackson man in the mirror that for a second, come together as a group and just talk to each other and just be like, hey, what is the common goal for everybody in this movement? Because if feminism is supposed to be about equality across the board, why is that not the case now? So this is how I'm starting my season for my podcast. I have questions and I have my thoughts. I said this is what my show is going to be about. And I want my answers. I'd like answers. And I would love for anybody to come on to my show and have these type of discussions with me. Because at this point, I feel like the way for us to fully understand each other and maybe not even fully, but understand each other more than what we do now, we simply have a discussion. And sometimes it's going to make the hair on your back stand up. But I hope that no matter what, every episode that I have, someone can walk away with a good sense of positive knowledge or a good sense of positive understanding. I feel like we don't have that in this world anymore. And I feel like people are afraid to speak or say what they want to say because no one wants to be viewed as the villain. And if I have to be that person that's viewed as a villain just to have a discussion, I'll take that. Because I have the platform and I'd be crazy not to use my platform to do what I think is right, which I think is to have a discussion. So welcome back to my podcast, you guys. I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. And if you'd like to come onto my show, go onto my Facebook page. It's Brittany B Podcast and send me a message and we can set something up. I want to set up topics for discussions. So keep a lookout on my page and see if it's something that you feel like you'd like to participate in. And please feel free to send me a message. Now, it has been a pleasure talking with you on the new season of It's Britney B, the show where you and I go on a journey and break down topics that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I am your host, Brittany, and I want to say thank you, of course, to the unicorn of producers, Dedalian, for producing today's episode. And the thought for today, a hero will sacrifice you to save the world, but a villain will sacrifice the world to save you. Don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes and to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lcc.edu slash connect. Get it. Got it. Done. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Massage Clinic is open to the public and provides an opportunity for the students of the massage program to gain valuable client experience. Relaxation massages and therapeutic massages are both available at a nominal fee. Visit lcc.edu slash massage for more information. 
People do it everywhere. In the kitchen, in the bedroom. Yes, even the park. When it comes to your health, there is no wrong place or time to get an HIV test. Knowing your HIV status allows you to live your life and stay healthy. So pick a spot. Make HIV testing a part of your routine. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You'll be glad you did. I'm Jamie Presley. I'm Jay Ellis. I'm Ray Santiago. I'm Terrence J. And, and I'm, I'm acting, acting against AIDS. Visit cdc.gov forward slash doing it. The Job Training Center at Lansing Community College provides two-month job training opportunities that are free to eligible participants. Training courses range from information technology to administrative assisting. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash JTC training. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hello, friends, and welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. Streaming bright from Michigan's capital city, this podcast is dedicated to helping you better understand the who, the what, and the why of mental performance, personal growth, and Lansing Stars baseball. Coach Cuts Corner, brought to you by iWatch. In collaboration with Lansing Community College. And now here's your host, Stephen Cutter. Welcome back or welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. I'm Stephen Cutter and today I'm joined in studio with Coach Modaf. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for asking. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a beautiful day out and uh, we're going to rip some podcasts today and we're going to talk about the transfer portal, fall practices that are just about ready to get kicked off, Mm -hmm. what a typical fall looks like for the stars. We've been through getting ready to start our third fall here. And we've added a few new coaches to our coaching staff. So we're going to touch on them a little bit. Uh, Start off with coaches. We brought in a driveline floor trainer that was currently in Arizona. And he's making Mm -hmm. his way to Michigan right now. His name is Elijah Boyer. He's going to be our new hitting coach. And will be the director of hitting here at LCC. What do you know about Elijah? Yeah, I am familiar with him a little bit through kind of our connection with Driveline, sending a few guys out there. Just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Uh, Really what, you know, is most exciting is I've got a a lot of reviews from guys that actually had worked with him already this summer or in the past and have talked about how he's awesome and they've used terms like a game changer and things like that when describing a coach and that's huge. That's kind of what we're looking for here. Yeah, and he's he's a nuclear engineer or something like that too, right? Yeah, yeah I believe so. Crazy. <laughs> and then uh, we we also brought in Travis Doyle. Travis will be our new pitching coach and will direct the the pitchers mm-hmm. this season. Travis owns a facility in Okemos. Dagda. Dagda. Yep. So that's really exciting. Travis played a little bit of pro ball and, and is uh, very well versed in technology and yep. development and um, the facility side. And is just starting to get into coaching at the collegiate level. So it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting that we're able to land Travis and Big time. we'll certainly have Travis and Elijah on our podcast, you know, moving forward. Um, the, what do you think Travis brings to the table in your opinion? I think he, br- I think he brings uh, a little bit of maturity that, uh, that our pitchers will be able to learn and grow from I believe, uh, just the data side, it's, it messes really well with kind of our visions here and using every piece of information we can to try to make somebody better. 
Uh, he's not an eye test guy. He's he's definitely a let's see some proof of it. Let's see some data. And he's got a growth mindset, and uh, he's he's looking to keep moving up and keep getting better. And that's he you know he's looking for more answers. He's he's looking for ways to to stay on the cutting edge, and and that's a big piece of of really the type of players we want in this staff on this on this team, and and the type of coaches we want on the staff. And and I'm I'm really excited to get to work with Travis. Yeah, I think he's curious, and we talked about curious a little bit. And curious is, tends to be a pretty good thing. You know, one of the things that we've really experienced at, as a as a coach and and just as a person is change. And we've talked about how change is hard for everyone. Few choose to go after change. We must we must accept and embrace it as coaches. We experience it every season and really only get to work with our guys for a maximum of two years. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of change over the past two seasons, starting with some really great players and coaches, and also with how we approach development. We've changed our mindsets on on how we're going to do things and how we're going to develop, and you know the change just continues and continues. Uh, we've had changes with technology, and we've had to – uh, figure out what works best and what doesn't work and we we dive into here and we find that it's really really good and it helps here and then we dive into something else and it helps in a different way and yep. and we're we have to figure out what's going to be the best and and then we've had some changes we're changing to our ballpark at one point it flooded and now we're working <laughs> on a pitcher's development area and and as as I'm, you know kind of have been the vision behind that and doing a lot of the construction piece of it I, i'm sitting there thinking okay is this is this what's this going to look like when it floods you know again yeah, if, yeah. if it happens again so once you go through that stuff you, you're a little more prepared for for the next time and that doesn't mean that it doesn't suck any word or any less or anything mm-hmm. like that but but you are a little more prepared and you're thinking about it and i think that's where that preparation helps you if, if you're preparing for the change and as I said you know and you already know we you experience a lot of change as a coach and at a, yeah. a at a junior college you you really only have them for a couple years and so that turnover is large and and as you know when we hit the ground running with practices it's gonna be a little different without some of the guys there right yeah yeah I think that was one of the main main things I was uh, thinking about on the trip home from Enid was gosh, you know, when August 10th gets here and, and I walk in and Shane Jude is not there and Hunter Lay isn't taking BP and Noel Bright's not catching pens. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, you know, it's Stark and the, re- the rest yeah, of them, Chris you know, it's, it's short. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's change. And, and like I said, you have to uh, embrace it somewhat. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, it's going to happen regardless. You just have to embrace it. I can't imagine like being in this profession and coaching and being someone that can't say goodbye, that would be, that would just be miserable. <laughs> Don't imagine they stick around too long. Yeah, probably not. But you can always see, you know, the best teams are, are served by love and yes. you can always, you can always tell how close a team is by, by the end of the year, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the season, when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter what sport it is. If you just, if you just watch it and, you know, I've done it with, um, you know, softball and in and, and different sports, volleyball, and different sports. You watch when it ends. You can tell how much love was yeah. is within that team and kind of gives you that piece of it. You know, I saw a number the other day. I, I kind of want to talk about this. And it's 475,000 kids will start high school in the U.S. this year. And 
playing baseball and only about 70,000 will finish mm-hmm. 475 to 70 10,000 of them will play college baseball this season mm-hmm. it's it's obviously a chosen few and I know those numbers are probably pr- pr- very much in line I think it's five or six percent will play college sports so it's it's pretty much in line um, do, you, do you think it's getting harder to play college sports or do you think it's getting easier what's your thoughts yeah, that question's a little kind of a double-edged sword there. I think in some sense it is getting harder, but I think that with technology, with Twitter, with social media, social, the internet, yeah. it's getting way easier where if you if somebody truly wants to play college baseball, even if they've only maybe played a season of it in their whole life, they could probably play college baseball somewhere. That's what I truly believe. Maybe not at a high level, but they could have a jersey on a team. So I think, but I I think the the gap between what is a a good good player that is maybe a a college baseball player to somebody that goes in it to a college that wins a lot and makes a giant impact is getting significantly wider. So it's it's really weird where the talent gap is exploding while the accessibility is becoming way easier than it's ever been. It's a super weird time. Yeah. We live in the land of opportunity. Yes. So th- those opportunities are certainly there. But yeah, you're you're right on the money. I want to talk about the transfer portal a little bit. Mm-hmm. If there's a single question that I get asked <laughs> from parents, that is usually the first. If not oh, yeah. if it's not the first, it's the second question. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of assumptions and then there's a lot of statements from whether it's coaches or or players and and so they're getting all this information. And then most of those parents are high school parents and they just don't necessarily understand. And I'm I'm and high school coaches are are no different because mm-hmm. they don't completely understand either because yeah. they, they can't see the portal they, they can only hear the stories. They, they don't necessarily know what's going on with the rosters or, or who's reaching out. Um, I did see something, I think it was about a year ago, where a pretty prominent baseball coach said that th- this portal was going to be gone. It, it, was, it was short term. It was because of COVID and it was going to be gone. And, yep. and uh, I happened to, you know, re- screenshot that and keep that just for, for sakes. And I don't think, I don't think it's going anywhere. We oh, had, no. uh, you know, over 4,000 in the baseball portal before it closed. And the numbers that, that actually go someplace out of that are, you know, not I great. 50%. Yeah. 50%. Yeah. And that's could be a little bit of a stretch too, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the portals changed so much. It, you yeah. know, we started in, in 2020 with COVID changing everything in, in all of these sports landscapes. And then COVID certainly affected the baseball landscape as well. But then as we've transitioned from that, now we're in the portal and how much that's changed. And we had kids that, that missed, a, you know, their entire junior year, their senior year, sophomore year, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Now with the portal, it's so different because there are so many kids in it that have some type of collegiate experience and the, how's that, how do you believe that's affecting the high school kids? I think that is part of, you know, that plays into that talent gap, but I talked a little bit about earlier where 
the guys that are unbelievable or for high school talents are still getting those D1 opportunities. Yeah. But the ones that are pretty good, but maybe not the superstar, or maybe not, you know, the top 10, 15 in the state, which is a very select few, their market moves really slow. And, you know, I, I talk to 10 to 15 kids a week on the phone mm-hmm. and have several on campus, you know, throughout the month. Right. And that's one of the main things I, I ask is, you know, how is your recruiting process going? And I don't think I've ever had a kid go, it's unbelievable. Like there are schools coming out of the woodwork for me and we're not recruiting kids that, that struggle at baseball. We're recruiting really, really good athletes here. It's just the way it is now. And that's kind of what we talk about is it, it moves slow because they want to have all their money tied up in portal guys. They're a safer bet. If we had that luxury, I, I'm sure that our recruiting model would change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we've got to rely on high school guys and, and develop them like we know we can. And, and that's why JUCO is an awesome route for them. And, and uh, that's a little bit why the four-year stuff is getting a little funky now. It's all because of how the portal moves. Yeah. You know, we're, we're certainly very fortunate to be here and, and, yeah. Kids are fortunate if they can go to the junior college level because if, if they go to a good spot, they have very, very high odds of, of being able to go to the next step because they're getting some of that college experience. But as we've kind of talked before, the difference between, you know, a freshman coming out of high school at our first practice and... <laughs> a sophomore that's or even spent, a redshirt yeah, freshman or, or a redshirt freshman or whatever it might be the difference is unbelievably stark yeah. between those two players so it takes time and and they have to you know buy into the the weight room and and the mental performance and all that all those things and it takes a little bit of time before they start that maturity process and so college coaches look at that at the four-year level too and the ones that um, are trying to be successful and win and there's they're seeing like there's a huge difference so the kids that are still getting out the offers are what I like to call outliers and they're going to get those offers but the kids that aren't outliers that doesn't mean that they're not good it just means that they're not quite they don't necessarily have that tool at that level yet but but they they have a good chance of doing it if they do the right stuff but if you're not an outlier, you're just not getting the offers that, you know, maybe kids would have gotten 2019 or 2017 or they're not getting them yet. It'll right. come. It'll come at the right spot. If you're at a Lansing, it'll come. But right. it's got to right. be the right it's, fit. It, it just takes a lot of time. Uh, do you think the portal's going away? No, absolutely not. No, it's 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 like free agency. You know, it's if for schools that. You know, I've, I've heard horror stories of kids that have ended up at a junior college that, you know, you go on their prep baseball report page and it says, oh, they're committed to, you know, random university, random D1 university. Like, well, that's not true. He's at this community college. And then you hear the horror story of, well, the pre, the program he was committed to, they had a losing season. The AD told their head coach, if he doesn't turn it around, uh, he's gone. He's looking for a new job in, in the summer. And, you know, that leads to, all right, we get rid of all of our high school guys that are coming in. We go and get portal arms and portal bats that can make an impact right away and help me win right away. And then we'll, we'll reassess. And, you know, that's, that's, it's a, it's a way to fix your roster. It's, and it's Mm -hmm. not only is it a, a, a great tool for, for a coaching staff to help fill holes on a roster, 
um, and, and get them an education at that in that institution. But it's also for the players to find the right fit. I, I think I if it went away, I think that would just be a massive injustice to players, if I'm being honest. Like, I'm all for it. I think it's a great thing for them. Yeah, a little bit of the world that we live in. I, th- yeah. I You know, we have a coach's portal. We, we have a player's portal. Yeah. You know, you might not call them portals, but that, it's a little bit of the world we live in. Um, I want to kind of hit as we're getting ready to start our season here mm-hmm. in a couple of days. Summer is still by a calendar's measure is still here, but by our measure, we're into our fall season at this point. What was, what are some of your takeaways from this past summer for you? Because, you know, you went for, for 10 months as a, as a college baseball coach. And then all of a sudden that cut off and you had different responsibilities. And what was your biggest takeaway from the summer? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway is just how much, how much you miss or how much I miss a routine where there are a lot of people that, you know, we went through it with the hiring process where we talked to people about coaching and, you know, they asked what the time commitment is and, you know, we're practicing six or seven days a week when we're able to in season. And that's just what we do. And, uh, it's not a big deal. It's just, you're asking for three hours out of the day, but for a lot of people that's way too much. And, uh, it's not because that's the price of success. But, uh, with, with that, you know, you, you realize you're sitting there on, you know, the Sunday we get back from Enid and I'm thinking like, gosh, I should be leaving for practice at 8 PM at the kingdom or something like that. And it just doesn't, doesn't exist. But you know, that's when, like you said, you got to put it in perspective and change roles where it goes from X's and O's to, you know, dollars and cents with scholarships and recruiting and, on the academic side and making sure guys are taking the right summer classes and guys are taking or are making the proper steps recruiting wise to get out of here and, and get to get to their dream school and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's a little bit about what my summer was like. It's not a vacation as some may think it's actually probably equally as busy or slightly busier in different sense, different areas of my life. Do you believe there's an off season when you're, a collegiate coach for some, okay. but not the that's, one I want to be. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great answer. I, I definitely feel like in the months of June and July, I get asked that question one way, shape or form and <laughs> just kind of laugh. There's, there's no such thing as an off season for, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's who you are. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me over the, this past summer was what really hit home was that no matter how much you prepare and plan, you have to be ready for change. Yes. And it's not coming dressed as a million dollars or a new sweet jumbotron in right center. You know, the change is, is, is going to be hard and life will really throw you some nasty curveballs, and those curveballs do not have good ride. So you kind of got to put your head down and you have to put in the work and you ride the wave of, of, you know, positive things and disappointments and, and changes. It's just one of those things that doesn't matter how much you prepare, uh, it's going to hit, but the preparation is going to help you handle it more if you, if you're prepared. And that's really, um, what I, I believe is the the difference between a good coach and a great coach. Mm -hmm. And, and it's kind of said that, you know, a good coach is going to prepare for this game and the, 
and a great coach is going to prepare for this game as well. But the difference is the great coach is going to make adjustments at halftime. And halftime could doesn't necessarily need to be in a football game. Halftime could be in your day, in your hour, or or your practice, or you know whatever that you're doing. You've got to be able to make adjustments, yes. and that's where that preparation. You know, everybody should be preparing, but how are you going to handle those adjustments? And yeah. and man, we've we've had a ton of them thrown at us over the last few months, and we've adjusted pretty well because we were prepared. And I think the truly, truly great ones learned a long time ago that this is kind of what you've you've signed up for, and they know that nothing will really change that. So I appreciate appreciate you know you coming in today, appreciate you being on, and look forward to uh, next time we're together. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Coach Cut's Corner is recorded live in the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalian Lowry. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us on all the platforms of social media. You can find more about our program at lccstars.com. And donations to our baseball program can be made at the same site. See you next time. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Cesar Chavez Learning Center's Access Program at Lansing Community College creates a community on campus for underrepresented students, providing them with a support network and multiple layers of academic, social, and professional experiences. Access also incorporates workshops and resources that assist in educational and career advancement. To find out more about Access, visit lcc.edu and search Access Program. The Selective Service System presents Ways to Keep Guys Out of Trouble in Two Minutes or Less. The pictures of your girlfriend making the just-about-to-sneeze face you were going to post online as a joke? Probably should delete them. Another way to keep yourself out of trouble in two minutes or less. Register with the Selective Service System. It's the law for men turning 18. Not registering could mean not getting your driver's license in most states. Register with Selective Service at SSS.gov. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan ReConnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. ReConnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. Now, here he is, your host, Jim Irvin. Baby, I'm awesome.
Well, no, I'm not home. I'm actually, uh, I'm in Old Town. Uh, very good to have you with me. Thank you so much, Parker. Appreciate the intro. You know, it's hard to believe that we're knocking on the door of the annual Michigan Blues Fest, which is held in Lansing, Michigan's Old Town District. But here it comes, September 13th through the 16th. It's sponsored by the Michigan Institute for Contemporary Arts, Message Makers, Urban Beat, the Capital Area Blues Society, and oh, so many more. My guest on this episode of Time Signatures is none other than the organizer of this annual event in the face of much of the Old Town festivities, uh, Mr. Terry Terry. Welcome to Time Signatures. Hey, glad to be here. Glad to be with you. Glad to have you here as well. How long has the Michigan Blues Fest been going on now? A long time. I don't even know what number this is. We um, you know, we started our festivals. I'll just give you a little history. Sure. Uh, our first festival was called the Snake Rodeo way back uh, in the early 90s, I think. Okay. Uh, and then we started an Art in October Fest, and then we did our Jazz Fest in 95, and then we uh, stopped the October Fest and kind of transitioned into, with Cavs, um, the Michigan Blues Fest. So it was somewhere in the, I think, the late 90s, but I'm not sure. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was looking at the, uh, at the lineup again. You guys always put on a really good show, and it's always a lot of fun. Um, You've got some strong local talent listed on here, as well as some other well-knowns from across the state of Michigan. Uh, Sherry Williams, uh, Gina Garner, James Reeser in the backseat drivers. And is it, I, I want to pronounce this right, is it Asamu Johnson? Yep. And uh, is that the, a Grand, I think they're out of Grand Rapids, I believe. Grand Rapids or uh, Kalamazoo, I'm not sure. Yeah, and, and I, I have yet to see them play. I know you've had them here. Oh, yeah, many times. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to taking in their act as well. You're going to like them. And then we also have Lady Champagne featuring mm -hmm. uh, Omar Coleman out of Chicago. So Lady Champagne's a Detroit blues artist, uh, well-known there and won a lot of awards there. So, yeah, we've got a great lineup. It's going to be a good time. And uh, I love the draw to Old Town because it's so historically relevant uh, to the history of Lansing. And it's truly wonderful to see a revitalization that has taken place in this part of town. Well, you know, we started the festivals in part to trigger all that. You know, you know, Micah's mission, the producer of the event, the Michigan Institute for Contemporary Art, uh, has always been to serve as a catalyst for community transformation mm -hmm. by providing quality arts programming, like Blues Fest, Michigan Blues Fest, Jazz Fest Michigan, and now we're adding a Funk Fest. And then, um, but we've, you know, made the focus and the approach to be a, like diverse community gatherings. So yes. we have multiple stages. People kind of have to walk around. You can't plop down and be in one spot, but that's intentional. So we do it so that people can walk around, meet old friends, make new friends, and see what's going on here, see the buildings, see the yeah. shops and whatnot, and kind of get the whole community really popping. Absolutely. And, and something that uh, is relatively new, this is now a social district. Right. If you, if you, you know, go into somewhere like Urban Beat and get a beverage in, in a properly marked plastic cup, yes. it has to say Social District and, uh, and have the bar's name on it, then you can walk around all over Old Town and uh, no problem. Now, you've got two main stages, as we said, uh, one down near the river and then one at the corner of Turner and Chavez, and then you've got the smaller one down by Meat Barbecue, what kind of acts do you generally see at the smaller stage? So we, we uh, partner with the uh, School of Rock. Mm -hmm. So they bring their uh, adult band and 
youth band to perform there. And then we have other acts that we also program later on. So yeah, that's, you know, so a lot of that's like, and it's in the Bender area as well, near yeah. the Bender. So it's just got activity happening there and you'll hear some people are just starting out. Which is fun. And I, I don't think I've ever seen the, um, the adult band yet. I've seen the younger band uh, play on a, a couple of occasions. I actually got to see them the first time uh, in Mason during the Sun-Dried Festival. And then I got to see them here like uh, two weeks later. Right. And they change up, too. I mean, yeah, as they, they, they have different students, so each year yep. things are different. And I'm, I'm sure between Jazz and Blues Fest, the same thing. So. Yep. Now, let's talk about numbers for a minute. What does it cost to get into the Michigan Blues Fest? It's a steal, okay. first of all. Sure. So we have two levels of tickets. We have general admission and premier seating. Okay. Premier seating gets you up close, up front, front white seats at uh, the two stages, the, the south stage and the uh, river stage. It's $25, covers both nights. Beautiful. And otherwise it's $15 for both nights. So that's $7.50 a night, which is about, what, $2 a band or something. I mean, think what you pay a cover for anywhere right, else. Right, So, or you might go here, uh, go to a concert and pay $75 or $100 for a concert. So it's, it is a steal and it's necessary. I mean, we can't, it costs a lot to produce these festivals. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, we used to, uh, Micah used to be able to, you know, generate a lot through beverage sales, but things have changed and we can't really do that anymore. So uh, we rely on sponsors, ticket sales and grants and, you know, our costs have gone up every year and our income has not. So we really rely on that. So it's, look at it as a sponsorship donation and you're, you're donating 15 bucks or $25. Sure. And it's making a big difference to make this happen so we can all, everybody in the community can enjoy it. Well, you know, you, you hit on a key point that things have changed a lot. I mean, I know that COVID put a real dent in everything uh, back in 2020 and uh, 2021. And it seemed like last year, things were really starting to pop and people were coming out more. Now in 21, in, in, in 21 of course, you had the Root Doctor Band uh, closing out their last time at Blues Fest and it was packed out for that. Um, but last year, I really noticed an uptick in attendance. In it did change last year, and this year at Jazz Fest, which just occurred, we mm -hmm. noticed a big change even from last year. So I'm expecting a pretty good crowd this year. You know, weather cooperating, sure. schools back. You know, more people tend to uh, come out to the festivals in the fall. And Blues Fest is our really has been our best attended festival. So I'm anticipating it being the same. And I'm I'm kind of excited to see the guys that play chess down here. Yep, they sit up at a table every Lansing, year. I think they're called the Lancy Knights. Yeah, they always come out to the festivals and they're playing chess. Uh, it's a great crowd that we've got that comes to the festivals. That's I, that's what I like about doing these things. We bring everybody out in the community. People get to make some new friends. Sure, <clears throat> it's fun. It's safe. It's interesting. So, if I'm coming as an attendee to Blues Fest. Um, should I bring my own chair? Do you have chairs on site? We've let, well, if you're buying a ticket, you should be able to have a chair unless it's general admission and we get, we you know, almost sell out. So it's really your call. Okay. Um, and then uh, parking, the city lot is open, but expect to have to walk a few blocks to park. We got a great neighborhood around here. And uh, as we get bigger, you have to walk further or take an Uber or something like that, yeah. which is, you know, if you're gonna have some beverages, you might wanna do that anyways. So, yeah, it's, uh, we're looking for, oh, and what's different this year is we, we have a four-day festival. We're kicking off Wednesday night, band to be announced. Okay. Uh, but the kickoff is now Wednesday night, not Thursday. We do a, we're going to do a benefit on 
concert Thursday night. Most of those happen at Urban Beat. And then outdoor stages, four stages interactive on Friday night and Saturday now, can afternoon. You, can Saturday you talk night. about the benefit that you're doing on Thursday? Any any tip of the hand who that might be? What are you raising the money for? Well, I know we have the band. I just don't remember. I didn't bring the schedule with okay. me. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> who's playing when. Uh, but it, that one goes to uh, Micah, to the Michigan Institute for Contemporary Art and our we, we call the Kids Beat program, so we okay. do programming for kids. Cool. Uh, Jazz Fest is to the Lawrence Low Leathers Foundation. Uh, this one we do for Kids Beat, and uh, and actually, uh, as part of the programming, like on Saturday, the Children's Ballet Theater does some programming. There are kids out there dancing, um, and they do also do a program at Micah Gallery once, at least once a month on Sundays. Uh, and then we have the Instrument Petting Zoo there so we have a bunch of instruments out and kids could get up and actually touch them and play them that's and really cool somebody's yeah. there to show them like how to do that we have i don't know if it's happening this year but in the past we've done like a harmonica workshop i think andy wilson did it one year and i don't remember who else but uh and we gave away you know little plastic harmonicas to kids but they could come up and learn how to play a little bit so we try to get people involved in the arts engaged in the arts and and it's and it sounds like something for for people of all ages it's not just for oh yeah for the kids you know oh, yeah. well while i'm here you, know, you talked about uh, Micah and a couple of the other uh, uh, businesses in this area. What else can I see while I'm in lo in Old Town? I mean, you got Bad Annie's, you know, right. you got the popcorn We, we place. have a lot of cool shops. You know, yeah. there, there are a lot of boutiques. There's uh, October Moon. Uh, there's a Spin Bicycle. Uh, obviously, like I said, Micah Gallery. We have a, you know, a piercing place called Flesh. I assume they'll be open. I don't know who's all open during the sure. festival. Uh, Catalyst, of course, uh, they had their cool little shop. Uh, Ozone's up the street. There's a little microbrewery and tap room up there. That's north on Turner. Uh, you got Blue Owl across Blue, the street. Blue Owl Coffee, yeah, yep. great little coffee shop here. Um, and of course, Cravings. You got to go to Cravings and get some popcorn. Oh man, and every then, year. <laughs> and further up the street, you know, further up Turner, there's Cosmos and um, Zubies as a bar. And there's some shops down uh, like Mother and Earth. There's a you know, family kids shop uh, on Chavez, right near uh, Washington Chavez. So you got a lot of there's a and, lot and, of things and, and, to do. And there's, and there, yeah, and there's always new thing, people moving in here, so it keeps changing. I think Glow just opened up. And there's is there another art gallery that opened not too long ago around the corner? There's on Chavez. One, uh, there's one there. There was this one that moved north. Uh, okay. David Such David Such opened a space i don't know if it'll be open that day but he has a sure. space up turner ways but yeah if you come you're going to be able to see some well the other thing is you see this great architecture because old town has the highest concentration of historic commercial buildings in the city of lansing so yeah. this is kind of where the city started there was a mill along the river and these buildings have great history the building you know that i have message makers was built in 1868 wow we're, we're sitting now on urban beat which was in the 1870 or something like you know in that that period so you know pretty old buildings now now urban created. urban beat was kind of a rough and tumble place back it in had the been day, many things it? it had been a cleaner one time it was the month before it closed it was the mustang bar so they had a bit of a reputation yeah uh, and then it was closed for 20 15 20 years and then i acquired it converted it had to rebuild the whole front facade and put a back wall on it wow. Uh, there's an apartment above that somebody lives in, and then Message Maker Studios above the other side of Urban Beat. And they just did, you know, major renovations to convert it into, you know, what we think is Lansing's premier listening room with a, you know, a great venue for hearing 
music in a kind of an intimate setting. Um, good sound system, good lighting system. Yep. Uh, we treat the bands well. We have a green room for the bands. And uh, almost every night of the week, you know, we've got some music happening in the patio or inside. And, and I have to tell you, I love what you have inside here because I love the old brick, uh, the old brick and mortar, you know, from back in the day. And, you know, there's just, there's so many elements about the building that speak to the history that it's fun to walk in here and just look around. And then, and then when you attend, as you said, come in here for, uh, you know, for a music event, which I've been here for several, and um, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's a friendly, intimate environment. Yeah. We've got good sight lines. The acoustics are good. We've invested yes. a lot in the sound system and really in the lighting system. So we try to make it work well for the bands and make them front and center, not stuck in a corner. Um, but again, if you come to Old Town for the festivals, you can see lots of buildings that are cool and get a sense of history. And the other thing is the scale here is interesting. You know, like we have wide sidewalks, a mm -hmm. park at the corner. So it's kind of like a town square area and you can hang out in that. And also the acoustics are pretty good for the, for, for the stages and the music. And then of course you've got some, uh, you've got some artwork on the side of the side of the buildings over here. Yep. There's some great artwork, which murals. Which is yeah. really neat to look at the murals that, uh, that some of the artists have done. Um, it's a lot of fun. So make plans. If you, if you don't have plans already, make plans to come out to the Michigan Blues Fest. Once again, the dates for this, it's going to, the kickoff is on the 13th. Yes. Correct. Wednesday, the 13th. And then running through Saturday, the 16th. Correct. And, uh, it's going to be a great time, man. Lots of, lots of good music. Go ahead. And, uh, Friday and Saturday nights, we have an afterglow at Urban Beat. So, you know, we have bands playing those nights, but then other musicians will come up and jam with them. So that goes pretty late. You probably go to one one thirty. So the last thing that I when you're through with everything else, come in and uh, it's limited seating. You know, we can only get so many people sure. in here, but it sometimes it's the best part of the festival, you know, when you mix these musicians up and they get going and they're having fun. Terry, Terry, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Um, if you get a chance, you need to come out and check out the Michigan Blues Fest. And uh, Old Town Lansing, check it out. It's going to be a good time. And uh, as I said, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, my guest has been Terry Terry, the owner of Urban Beat and Message Makers and Micah. Uh, he's, got his, he's got his hands in a lot of stuff in Old Town here. But the revitalization that has taken place in Old Town is really something to behold. So we definitely look forward to, uh, to coming down here and checking out, once again, Blues Fest, the 13th through the 16th of September. That's going to wrap it up for this edition. We look forward to seeing you on the next edition of Time Signatures with Jim Irvin. This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham. Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based 
and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.